Exodus 24 is where we're going to be. If you need a Bible, please raise your hand. Um, Exodus 24, raise your hand if you need a Bible. Hey, Matt. Did you see Jordan's still up here cleaning, man? He's just on it. He's just, even though you're not here, he's still just like, put the cords away, do everything. Just like, he's, we're talking, we're thinking about giving him a raise. He gets paid. <laughs> oh, that's right, he doesn't. Yeah, okay, never mind. Go get a donut from the back. Okay. Exodus 24 is where we are at this morning. We are working our way through Exodus. Um, as I look around, I think most of you know what, what's been going on. Um, God has been leading Moses and using Moses to lead the people out of Egypt, out of slavery. And now he's leading them toward the promised land. But as we're going to find out or be reminded of at the end of the chapter today, um, so, uh, as, as is so often with God, it's a process. God is in the process. There's this journey that they're on, and uh, God is, is uh, leading them, um, and it's been a pretty, pretty incredible journey. Now, we're in the middle of this section where it uh, spans several chapters, but the children of Israel are at Mount Sinai. They're in the wilderness of Sinai. They're camped out there. They're at Mount Sinai, and we're right in the middle of Moses actually up on the mountain, and he's been receiving from God. And then his responsibility is to then take that and give that to the children of Israel. This is the spot where he's going to get the commandments on the tablets, where he's going to give it to the people. Um, so that's all taking place here. So we're right in the middle of that. Um, some extremely important uh, lessons in this chapter that we're going to get here uh, as we go through for the next few minutes. Exodus 24. For those of you that take notes, there are two main divisions the first is meeting with the people. Okay, we're going to see Moses meeting with the people, and then we will see Moses meeting with God. So meetings are taking place. I am not big on meetings. Uh, I don't necessarily care for meetings. Now I've got some leaders in here, and uh, we have we have monthly meetings like every few months. And I and so here's my thing on the meetings. I like to meet with the leaders. What I'm talking about when I say I don't like meetings is when it's a real long meeting and you know you're talking about you know uh, that person's you know uh, cookie recipe over there or whatever. And, you know it's like you want to just kind of get to the meetings. Do any of you feel that way? Do any of you not like meetings? Is there anybody here that does not like meetings? Okay. Are there any of you that actually like meetings? Some of you like meetings. In first service, there were some people that actually liked meetings. Meetings can be good if they're productive. You get the info, let's go, we got the plan, we got the directions, okay, here's what we got to do. And, uh, and then especially if there's food involved, right, which today there, there's some food involved here in, these, in one of these meetings that we'll see. But meetings, that's what, that's what is taking place here. Now let's go ahead and get into the first section, which is meeting with the people. We see in verses 1 and 2 here, now he said to Moses, this is God speaking to Moses, there's no chapter breaks. It's just carried on from Exodus 23. Now he said to Moses, come up to the Lord. You and, now it's not just Moses this time. It's Aaron, it's Nadab, 
and its Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. So come up to the mountain, bring all of these people with you, and worship from afar. Worship from a distance, because it was a big, uh, COVID was huge back then. Verse 2, And Moses alone shall come near the Lord, but they shall not come near, nor shall the people go up with him. So he gives the plan. Now, if you've been with us, you will know that Moses has been up. Now it seems like he's been down. And then he'll go up, and then he'll come down. It's, it's not just a one-shot deal. It's Moses hiking up and down this mountain, it seems to us, at least a few times. And here he's told again, come up. I want you to come back up. I want you to bring these people with you. Verse 2 there's a separation happening here that we will see later on. And Moses alone shall come near the Lord. So in other words, everybody, all of these people come up. But I want you to worship from afar, worship from a distance. However, Moses alone shall come near the Lord. He's the only one allowed. He's the only one invited to come that close. But they shall not come near. The rest of the 70, they need to stay at a distance. Nor shall the people go up with him. In other words, the rest of the children of Israel that are at the bottom of the mountain, they need to stay down there, okay? So we see in this first meeting that these people and obviously Moses are called by God. Now, here's the second thing that takes place in this section. Beginning at verse 3, we are going to see the covenant confirmed. Now, a covenant, does anybody know what a covenant is? No one. That is Noah behind that mask, right? Okay, I just want to make sure. I, yeah. uh, it's uh, essentially like, um, like a deal of some sort. Like, like a what? Like a deal. Okay, like yep, yep, stuff. like a deal, yep. Anybody else? It's like a deal, yep. Promise? There is some promise involved, yes. There's God's, God's been giving them promises, and that's part of the covenant. Anybody else? Uh, I think like protection of a, like he said a promise. Like a protection there of there a is promise. promise of protection in there, absolutely, yes. An agreement. An agreement. Are so smart. <laughs> there's an yeah. It's there's there's all, all of those things involved. There's promises in there. Uh, there's a deal being made, and the deal is this. Here's the covenant. The covenant is God has been promising them all of these things. Now He's giving them instructions, giving them uh, uh, laws, and saying, "Here's what you're supposed to do." That comes with blessing. You remember as we read through there that some of them were like, "Listen, as long as you do this, God says, here's what I will do." Okay. Now, the agreement takes place, the covenant takes place, when the people say, I agree. Yes. It's a good thing. We want that. So that's what they're doing here. And they are going to make, they're going to confirm the covenant in three different ways. I'm not going to put those on the screen. If you're a note taker, you can write these down. The first way that they confirm the covenant is through the word. Notice verse 3. So Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments. So the words, Moses speaking, shares the word. This is what I got from God. I'm sharing it with you. Okay? That's the pattern. I receive from God. I give to you. So there's words. He's, he's verbally sharing God's word. He also goes on to say in verse 3, And all the people answered with one voice. So they are responding verbally to Moses and to God and responding to God's word. And here's what they say in verse 3. All the words which the Lord has said we will do. Now, 
you already know this, but I'll point it out anyways. You and I already know they are not going to do all that the Lord has said to do. In fact, they are going to make many, many, in fact, countless mistakes. They are going to be disobedient, oftentimes to God, breaking God's law, um, um, ignoring God's word. They will do that often throughout their history. However, I do not judge them, in verse 3, for saying, yeah, we'll do it. Because I understand. I understand what it is like, and some of you will understand also, what it's like to be at a camp and to have those special evenings of worship when the Spirit is moving, when my heart is being stirred, when it's more than emotion, and when I'm there in that place, in that sanctuary, in that camp, in that cabin, and I'm saying, yes, God, I want all that you want. I want to do all that you want me to do. I want to obey all of your word. I'm going to live for you, God. I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm going to stick to it. I'm just going to follow hard after you. I know what that's like, to have that desire. And it's a good desire. But many of you know, along with me, that oftentimes we can blow that, like as soon as we get home. Because maybe mom and dad, maybe a brother or a sister, they haven't been at camp with you. They've been down the hill dealing with laundry and the dog barking at night. <laughs> and uh, having to clean up messes, and they have not been at camp in the Word, in worship, all day long, every night. So you get home, and maybe as soon as you walk in, they say, oh, here he comes, here she comes. You've been away all this time, you're all excited to be home, but we've been here, and we had to deal with your dirty room, or whatever it was, whatever the, you know, and, and maybe an argument ensues, and, and immediately you walk in, even though maybe at camp you had made these promises to God, like, I'm really going to do it this time, God, and then you walk in, and boom, you get an attitude back, argument ensues, and you blew it as soon as you walked in. But that does not negate, that, that doesn't cancel out your desire. In that moment, you wanted all that God wanted. These people in this moment, they want all that God wants. Do not forget that these are people, every single one of them, has been born and raised in slavery. Now they're just months out of that type of a lifestyle, and God is speaking to them. It's all brand new. It's all brand new. They haven't been raised in the church. It's not like some of us who grew up in children's ministry. We're excited, sing the songs, learn the Bible lessons. Even in junior high, we're excited, but maybe the fire starts to dim. Then we get into high school and it's like, ah, bored with the Lord. Like, oh, okay, I've already heard it a hundred times, a thousand times. And we can oftentimes find ourselves just kind of like, ah, I've heard it. These people, it's brand new. They're excited. And so they're saying, we're going to do it. So they confirm the covenant through the word. But there's a second way that they confirm the covenant through worship. Notice at verse 4. So Moses wrote all the words of the Lord. And he rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain. Twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. I, I like that picture of that leader who's up in the, in the morning early and preparing for what he's going to give the rest of the people. Uh, 
some of the best times that I have of study of preparing for Wednesdays and Sundays are early in the morning. When oftentimes my wife is up early, she's leaving for work, and then I'll stay up, I'll get my little cup of coffee in my Winnie the Pooh cup. So cute. And, and then I can sit down in the quietness. Everybody's asleep. You know, there's not music going on. You know, almost everybody wakes up. It's like, music, TV, somebody's outside working out, dogs barking, birds are chirping, eating all the bird food, wind chimes blowing. You know, it's like, you know, so, and soccer game's on or whatever, you know, all this stuff. And it, it, but, but early in the morning when I could just sit down quietly right there in the quietness of my own room and just look at God's word and receive from God. And how many times has God spoken to me in that quiet place? And I like this picture of Moses. He's up early in the morning. He builds an altar at the foot of the mountain. Now, he had received instructions on how to build an altar. Does anybody remember? Was anybody here for the altar building instructions and remember how it was supposed to be made? Anybody? It's like you need to layer it in 24 karat gold and diamonds. and No, they haven't gotten that yet. They will get that, but they haven't gotten that yet. He was told, when you make an altar, make it out of earth or make it out of stone. So he's building one of these altars. But he also sets up these 12 pillars. Now, these were probably pillars that he made out of piled up stones. And he makes 12 of them representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay? You've got the altar. You've got a representation of the people there. And in verse 5. Then he sent young men of the children of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. So they go and they begin to, and here's the worship part. You have the worship part in Moses being up, or, or being up early, Moses being up early and preparing. And then you have the worship also taking place in verse 5 where these young men representing all of the people are giving these burnt offerings and sacrificing peace offerings on that altar. And it says that they gave peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. It means that the oxen had to, had to lose their lives. They had to kill the oxen. They had to slaughter the oxen. And in verse 6, Moses took half the blood and put it in basins, put it in bowls, containers, and half the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Okay? Now this would have been several oxen. It's not just one oxen. This would have been several oxen. How many? I do not know, but it would have been more than one. And he's taking the blood. Half of it is being sprinkled all over this altar. You get the picture of this stone altar that's just absolutely covered in blood. It says in verse 6, And Moses took half the blood and put it in basins, and half the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant. There it is. All that Moses had received, he puts it into a book. It says he takes that book, and he reads it in the hearing of the people. And they said, they respond, All that the Lord has said, we will do and be obedient. So they go a step further. We will do it, and we will be obedient. Again, it takes us back to those special moments when, yes, God, I want to do all that you want me to do. I want to be obedient. I'm going to, I'm going to do it this time. Though we oftentimes, and, and sometimes very quickly, we, we blow it. And we're disobedient. But the desire is there. They want to do it. But he, he takes this book of the covenant. Now, I love that he takes the book. This is God's word. It's okay, Jordan. We didn't even, we didn't even hear you. We didn't even... Think about it. So we're not even distracted. 
<laughs> he takes the book of the covenant and he reads it to the people. This is good. You notice the pattern? It's like what we do every Sunday, every Wednesday. We take the book, open it up, we read it. Here's God's word. It's not Moses' word. It's not Chris Amaro's word. It's God's word. We take that and we present it to the people. That's what Moses is doing here. Okay? So in verse 6, or 7 rather, he takes the book of the covenant, reads it in the hearing of the people, and they said, all that the Lord has said we will do and be obedient. God's word was meant to be shared. Meant to be shared. When I was growing up, I was a wannabe Catholic. I did not get saved until I was 20. Uh, my family, my parents, did not get saved until I was already in high school. So I was not raised in a Christian home. We were wannabe Catholics. I went to church for weddings. Sometimes, you know, when you're young, it's like, weddings, those are boring. When's the party? Weddings, funerals, quinceañeras, maybe uh, uh, babies being baptized. I went for those special, special occasions, and that was it. Oh, I would go on Christmas, too. Like Christmas Eve, they would actually have a mass in Latin. Oh, what? No, I don't speak Latin. No, wait, a what? A mass, like a service oh. in Latin. And I used to go to the Latin mass on purpose because in my mind, I'm super holy because I go listen to Latin mass. And I don't know what they say, and it's excruciating because i got to sit here for an hour and a half, and I don't have any clue what they're saying, and I just, man, like I, I paid my penance. Like I'm just suffering for God. Yeah. It was the stupidest thing I ever did. One of the stupidest things. Okay? Yes? Easter, yeah, yeah, special occasions like that, special holidays. That was it. I don't remember going on Thanksgiving. Psst, ain't nobody got time for that. You're on holiday. <laughs> How dare you? They take the word and they read it. The word of God was meant to be shared. I did not know that. I actually, many of you grew up in church, so you know this already. I did not know until I got older that the Bible was meant for us to read. I thought that the only people who... I, I honestly believe this. I believed that the only people that could understand the Bible were the Catholic priests. And that without the priest, I couldn't understand it. So I did not read my Bible. I did not have, I, I did not have a, 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 a biblical education when I was growing up. It wasn't until later on that I realized, no, the word of God is meant to be shared. All of us can understand it. And there are plenty of things in the Bible that we do not understand. In fact, we'll come to some of those things today. But largely, you and I can open up the Bible at any spot and begin to read and have some understanding. Moses is sharing these words. They're meant to be shared. So they uh, uh, confirm the covenant through word through worship, and then finally through witness at verse 8. And Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, This is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you according to all these words. They have this witness, this tangible, visible witness. You see, what this blood would have done is for many of them, it would have stained the clothing that they were wearing. 
They had it sprinkled on them. However Moses chose to sprinkle it, I do not know. But he sprinkled it on the people. And so, for the rest of time, they would have garments in their, in, their, in their rooms where they would look at it, it would be spotted with blood, stained with blood, and they would, it would take them back to that day when they confirmed the covenant. Take them back to that spot. Now, what you and I have is not something necessarily tangible, although we do at times we'll have that, right? Like it might be... Um, you know, I know I'm boring and I don't do camp shirts. Please forgive me, but uh, I'm, I'm, I'm working on, you know, I'm still, God's still working on me, okay? So one of these days, I've, you know, we may have camp shirts. Um, I, may, I may just decide to get fun and we'll have some camp shirts. Until then, no camp shirts, okay? Just kidding. But, but, but you know, maybe it's a shirt that you can go back and look and go, oh, yeah, I remember. Uh, I've still got the, the, the camp shirt from uh, when we went to summer camp a couple summers back. And, you know, I wear that thing, and it's like, you know, oh, yeah, I remember being there and, uh, you know, being at the sessions with, for worship and, you know, baptizing some of you. And, uh, you know, all, just all the memories come back. But for us, we have something even greater than that. We've got the blood of the Lamb, the blood of Jesus, spiritually speaking, sprinkled on us, covered. We, he's, he's covered us. And when we remember that, we can remember, oh, that's right, the, the covenant, the agreement. God, God loves us. God, you know, he did these things for us. He promised these things for us. So for them, it was a confirmation of the covenant through the word, through worship, and through witness. Now let's move on to our second and final section here, which was meeting with God, beginning at verse 9. Then Moses went up, also Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu. And 70 of the elders of Israel, and they saw the God of Israel, and there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone, and it was like the very heavens in its clarity. But on the nobles of the children of Israel, he did not lay his hand, so they saw God, and they ate and drank. So we see here that, number one, in this meeting with God, the elders, everybody sees God. They're seeing God right here. Let me show you, verse 10 tells us that as they saw the God of Israel, there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone. Now what I have behind me on the screens is sapphire stone. Paved. And they describe it here as, what's that? Paved, I thought it was paved sapphire stones, not just a sapphire. So judgy. You're so, so judgy. <laughs> you lied to us. <laughs> they have the here's the sapphire stone and what they describe it is it's as um, like the very heavens in its clarity in other words what was under the feet of God was a brilliant blue that it was it was like the sky that's how that's how brilliant it was that's how bright it was now it says that they saw God however we are not given it a, a full body description of what God looked like so it's hard for us to understand, did they actually see God in his entirety, uh, in, in bodily form? Because the description that we get, you'll notice this in verse 10, is they see his feet. And it's not even, the, the description is not even focused on his feet. It is focused on what is under his feet. Now notice again in verse 10, and there was under his feet. And it's like, seriously? You... You saw God, and that's all we get? I just 
So, so how much of God did they see? We really do not know. What we do know is they saw his feet and they saw that under him, it says, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone. In other words, it wasn't just a block of sapphire under him and he's, you know, trying to balance on it like, oh, you know, this is a sapphire stone. It was purposely placed. It seemed to be to them as if it had been paved out, purposely placed there. And it was like sapphire stone, and it was like the very heavens in its clarity. Now, what exactly is going on here? Well, God is revealing himself to the, to the 70 elders, to Moses, to Joshua, these other people. So we must, we come to the conclusion that God invited these individuals up there in order to reveal himself. However, he did not reveal, it seems, it appears to us, he did not reveal his uh, complete self, but only a portion of himself. Perhaps that that was all that they could handle. Here's the other thing. Does that mean that God has feet? Like a human being, like a man. One of my favorite uh, descriptions of God is... Uh, Earlier in Exodus, some of you may remember, but when they were after, after God uh, uh, destroyed all of the Egyptians, they're singing a song. They're worshiping. They respond in worship. And one of the things that they say is that he, he opened the sea with a blast of his nostrils. So what does that mean? That God has a big nose? Yes. That he sneezed? What does that mean? Does it mean that God has a big nose? No, it's, 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 it's a, a symbol that Moses used at that time to describe what he saw. Moses did not see a big nose come out of the sky, blow the thing open. But in his mind, he equated it with somebody blowing. It was The idea was that, listen, for God, opening the Red Sea was nothing. He just blew with his nose, thing opened up, not a big deal. Does not mean that God has human attributes. However, oftentimes when we see God in the scriptures, the few times that he's described, there are times when he may take on the form uh, of, a, of a person, of a human, of, of a man. But then there are times when he doesn't. Remember when he first appeared to Moses? In the bush? The burning bush? So he, he seems to appear in different different ways. So don't go crazy with verse 10 thinking, oh my gosh, God's got big blue feet. Or he's got feet, and uh, the Bible says that he's got feet, and you know there's the sapphire stone. This is how he appeared to them. Obviously, there is some mystery. There are things that are left out, things that you and I do not understand. I'm okay with it. Hopefully you are, because I ain't got nothing else for you. That's, that's all you get. Verse 11 says this, but on the nobles of the children of Israel, he did not lay his hand. So they saw God, and they ate and drank. So evidently, God was not close enough to lay his hands on them, but also he was not planning to lay his hands on them. Why was that? I don't know. My guess is that because they were sinful people, and he's a holy God, so he didn't go and lay his hands. Maybe had he laid his hands, he might have just wiped them all out. So he doesn't do that. So there still seems to be some separation. But it says in verse 11, so they saw God, they ate and drank. Isn't that funny? They saw God, they ate and drank. It's not really that funny. You and I include food in everything that we do. 
we celebrate holidays with food, right? Valentine's Day. What is that? Exactly. Thank you very much. Praise God for cookies. Okay? My daughter has been, for the last couple days, uh, um, chocolate-covered strawberries, peanuts, drizzled with, you know, white chocolate, and then, and then uh, drizzled with, uh, with choc dark chocolate or chocolate, and yeah, peanuts, and it's like, oh, man, I'm just like... Hey, do you want dinner? I know. Yeah, yeah. I'm on some of, the, one of the, some of those strawberries right now. Well, by the way, when you were talking about the feet, was it just like, like, just feet? Like all of a sudden you just see some feet walking around? They're like, oh my gosh, it's freaky feet. It's, That's it's what size. it seems like. It seems like it was just the feet. It's I don't know. Feet. Does that mean that they were just regular size feet? Were they huge feet? I don't know. But food is involved in everything that we do. You and I celebrate holidays with food all of the time. We even celebrate sports with food. If you watch the Super Bowl, then you had to have some hot dogs or some nachos or some pizza or some pretzels or peanuts or snacks or, you know, all, 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 the, all the goodies, right? All the stuff. Everything that we do, we include food. For these people at that time, when you would eat with someone, it was becoming one with those individuals. It was unity. It was unifying. They are, are, are uh, um, um, marking this meeting with God by sitting down, eating and drinking together, celebrating. So they see God. And then lastly, beginning at verse 12... Uh, oh, let me get, I'm sorry, for those of you that are taking notes, seeing God in this meeting. And then secondly, what we're going to see right now is the separating of Moses, okay? doesn't mean that he separated Moses. <laughs> it means that he separated him from the rest of the group. Verse 12, then the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and be there. And I will give you tablets of stone and the law and commandments of which I have written that you may teach them. That was his responsibility. You get these tablets of stone. It's not just freebie, here you go, hang them up on your wall. I'm giving you these things, but it comes with responsibility. You need to teach them. Verse 13, so Moses arose with his assistant Joshua. And Moses went up to the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, wait here for us until we come back to you. Indeed, Aaron and Hur are with you. If any man has a difficulty, let him go to them. Then Moses went up into the mountain, and a cloud covered the mountain. Now the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. And there is an extremely important lesson in these verses. And it is this, that you and I must learn to wait. And I don't mean just wait. Sometimes we're forced to wait. Here we are, you and I find ourselves in the middle of COVID, right? Some of you were straight up athletes, but you can't be. And there's nothing you can do about it. I mean, you can go out and work on your own. You can train, but it's not the same. It's never going to be the same. Some of you were in band. You can still play your instrument, but you can no longer gather. 
as a band. So many of us have been forced, not many of us, all of us have been forced to wait. You need to get in the doctor, take a number. See you in five weeks. But I'm, you know, dying from this sickness. See you in five weeks. And we find ourselves being forced to wait. However, very few of us wait well. Now, I want you to notice something here in verse 16. Now, the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. So what it appears to us is this. The 70, along with Moses, went up to the mountain. They saw God. They stopped there. Then God said, okay, leave the rest of the people there. Moses, you come up further, and let's meet. So then Moses, it appears, goes on further up into the mountain. However, it seems that Moses then has to wait six days. And it wasn't until the seventh day that he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. So the question is, what was Moses doing for six days? That's a great question. Probably just checking things out, you know, as... Googling things, buying things on Amazon. I mean, what else do you do when you got nothing to do, right? I guess that's where it came from. He didn't have a phone. Can you imagine? I, I'm i not trying to give you guys a hard time. I know a lot of times people give you a hard time like, oh, you're always on your phone. I'm always on my phone. Same. My phone is always with me. Yeah. <laughs> but he didn't have a phone. To, to, he did not have a phone to distract himself. He did not have a computer. He did not have a TV. He didn't have some kind of, uh, you know, satellite radio. He had nothing. Oh, as far as we know, it's him and Joshua up there. That's what it appeared to be that Joshua went with him. So the question is this, what are they doing? What, what is Moses doing in there? I'm glad that you asked that because look at this in verse 12. Then the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain, and what does he tell him there in verse 12? Somebody help me out. Then the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and? I will give you the tablets of stone. What does he say before that? Stay there. Stay there. Be there. Stay there. In other words, come up on the mountain and just be. Just be there. Don't come up on the mountain and try to fill your time with other things. Just come up on the mountain and just be there. Just be there. Just, just let your, just, just be present. It's an invitation. But in order to experience all of that, Moses was going to have to know how to wait well. He couldn't go up there, get anxious, and say, man, it's been five and a half days. God ain't showing up. I'm out of here. Right, I'm going to head out. He didn't take off on the sixth night. Like, God just, I don't know. God called me up, but he never showed up. He must have forgotten about me. I'm out of here. And then he leaves and misses the meeting on the seventh day. It was a matter of Moses going up, waiting. We hate to wait. I hate to wait. Can I get an amen? amen. <laughs> I hate to wait. It's tough. But what you and I need to learn, I know you don't want to hear about what you need. Like, quit telling me what I need. You don't know me. I know that you're impatient because we all are. Yeah. 
What we need is to learn how to wait well. With God, I have learned over the last 27, 28 years now, I have learned lots of things about God, but one of the things is that it's always a process with God. Rarely are things immediate. There are those times when things are immediate. There are those times when I've prayed for something and boom, there it is. Wow, that was fast. The majority of the time, it's wait. Hold on. We have a tough time with that. Moses is there waiting for six days. Six days. After God told him to come up, by faith he has to wait there. Six days. Finally, on the seventh day, God shows up. But it's a reminder for many of us, you may be praying for something. You may have a loved one that's sick that you've been praying for. You may have a, a, a sibling that's lost. They're gone. They're not following the Lord. They fell away. They're off just running wild. And you're praying and you're praying and you're praying and nothing's happening. And I know that in those moments, we can tend to do this. We can tend to think, you know what? Maybe God's not listening. Maybe God's angry at me for something. Maybe God forgot about me. All of the thoughts that run through your mind. We need to learn how to wait well, trusting that God is working the process and that he's got an answer. Some of us may be praying for a relationship, like I want a boyfriend, I want a girlfriend. And we, we may be wondering, like, you know, uh, uh, Pastor Chris, I'm praying for it. Why doesn't God give it to me? The answer is I really don't know, but it may be, it may be that you are not ready. Or it may be that the other individual that God does want to bring into your life, maybe he or she is not ready. And so there's that waiting process. It's a matter of faith. I must be willing to trust God. He's not giving me what I want right now, so he must have some other plan, and I have got to learn how to wait and wait well. But we don't want to do that. Well, guess what? The children of Israel didn't want to do that either, and we'll find out what kind of a mess it got him into later. But learning how to wait well. He separates Moses here in verse 12, come up to the mountain and just be there. Don't do anything else, just be there. So Moses, in verse 13, arose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up to the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, wait here for us until we come back to you. Indeed, Aaron and Hur are with you. If any man has a difficulty, let him go to them. Then Moses went up to, into the mountain, and a cloud covered the mountain. Now the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai. And the cloud covered it six days, and on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. The sight, we get another description here, the sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. So as the people down at the bottom looked up, it looked like the, there was a fire taking place on the top of the mountain. So Moses finally in verse 18 went into the midst of the cloud and went up into the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 Days, count them, and 40 nights. Giselle. You actually forgot to mention, I don't know if you were going to mention it already, but like, I remember, like, I watch a lot of cartoons with the Bible, with the Bible and like, but I know that 
the mountain, like if anyone even touched it, they would automatically die. Yeah, yeah, they, and we did talk about that in a previous chapter. Oh, yeah, yeah, they couldn't, they couldn't come close to the mountain. Forty days and forty nights. Moses is up there for forty days and forty nights. Now, for him, fantastic. That's like, you know, when you've been to summer camp or winter camp, and then the last night or the last day, you're like, I don't really want to go home. <laughs> Like, I'd rather just stay here. I don't want to go back to school. I don't want to go back to laundry. I don't want to go back to work. I don't want to go back. You know, it's like, let's just stay here. You know, it's so sweet just spending the days, Bible study, worship. You know, you play the games. You have the fellowship. You know, it's fantastic. But at some point, you got to get out of here. For Moses, it lasted 40 days. 40 days, 40 nights, he's up there with God. Now, just for a moment, think about what about the rest of the people that are still down at the bottom of the mountain waiting? There it is, waiting. They are not going to do so well. They are not, they, they've not learned how to wait well. They've not learned how to wait by faith. So we'll see what happens to them later on. But what you and I need is to learn how to wait well. That's what we need. Because God is going to work. We want him to work. We want to wait for his best. But it requires that you and I wait. Well, you know that our job, our responsibility is not to try and figure out what God is doing. That's not for me to figure out. Many of us want to do that. Well, God, what are you doing? Where are you at? What are you doing now? It's not my job. My job is not to figure out what God is doing. My job is to wait for God. I've prayed. I've asked God. Now it's time for me to wait and just let God work it all out. When he's ready, he'll bring the answer. But that can be excruciating. That's tough. But that's what we need. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning and for your word.